So today's Bible reading is from Isaiah chapter 49, verses 1 to 13, and that can be found on page 1100. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me in the womb to be a servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob, and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says. The Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who is despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers. Kings will see you and stand up. Princes will see you and bow down. Because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. This is what the Lord says. In the time of my favor, I will answer you. And in the day of salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and make you and will make you to be a covenant for the people, to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritance, to say to the captives, come out, and to those in darkness, be free. They will feed beside the roads and find pasture on every barren hill. They will neither hunger nor thirst, nor will the desert heat or the sun beat down on them. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. I will turn all my mountains into roads and my highways will be raised up. See, they will come from afar, some from the north, some from the west, some from the region of Aswan. Shout for joy, you heavens, rejoice, you earth. Burst into song, you mountains, for the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. Thanks, Audrey, for reading for us. It's good to, uh, to be with you. It's nice to be able to continue on in the uh, sermon series on the latter half of Isaiah. Uh, the last couple weeks, uh, Matt Lehman, our senior pastor, has uh, been taking us through that. Uh, one thing you'll notice in the difference between me and Matt is that I'm wearing a long sleeve shirt and a jumper. I was really distracted by that because I was just like, what, what does he have inside him? It's like magma, which then I was like, maybe he should donate his body to science. And so instead of heaters, we could just have what Matt has. Um, Anyway, I feel like I'm like I'm on like superhuman strength by a jumper. I know, I know. You're just trying to fit in, you know. So, 
Uh, it's good to, good to be able to continue on in our time together. And so if we haven't met yet, uh, my name is Luke, as Cam says. Uh, my family and I are, are members here at Tonsley, and it's been a real privilege uh, to be ministering alongside uh, you guys. Um, as I was thinking about, as, we, as we re, uh, Audrey read for us, there is hope in the future. Okay, we, we look towards the future to bring comfort. And I was thinking about what sort of promises does our world make to bring us comfort? And there's kind of an unspoken, um, our world has many unspoken promises, but some of the promises that I was thinking about is retirement. That if you, that if you place enough uh, of your income in your super, in your super You'll have enough money by the end of, you know, your working days and you'll live the good life and have the, t- you know, the opportunities to travel. Our world also promises if you have the right training, so if you have the right degree or the other, you know, various other kinds of training, then you will get the right kind of job. You'll have the right kind of income and the right kind of protection and along with that, the perfect life. Uh, maybe you're a teenager, and there is a promise of a vehicle. Mom and Dad promised me when I turn, how old do you have to be, 18 here? Jazz, 18? Yeah. Okay. You don't even know. Okay. The promise of the car is a promise of freedom. I no longer have to be bound to this house or the schedule of Mom and Dad. Every day will be great because I'll just drive and see my friends. The continual summer holiday, I am so excited about summer that every year there's this kind of promise that the summer will come, there'll be enough money, I'll be able to take a trip, be able to relax, don't worry, I'll be healthy, I won't have COVID. There is the promise, I'm looking forward to the promise of a post-COVID world, if that will ever be. I'm very optimistic when I read the news about that, right? But then there's also the promises of things more significant, the promise of restored relationships. Maybe there was a bad relationship that there is the promise that eventually enough time will pass and that will be restored. The promise of forgiveness from one another. The promise of love. These, These hopes and promises, though some of them are good, they also fail in terms of ultimate hope. Markets crash. Jobs become temporary. Cars break down. Not enough jobs for us all. They're temporary. And so when we think about promises of the future, our our confidence and comfort in these promises are dependent upon the person or the institution that makes them. Okay? When you're promised something small, the reliability of the person or the institution doesn't have to be that great, okay? But when the promises are large, when they're beyond this world, your confidence is linked directly to the person, okay? The larger the promise, the more resources that person has to have, the more reliable that person must be in order to deliver it. So as we continue on in the book of Isaiah, this section, second section of the book, God is promising to comfort his people, that he will deliver them out of exile, 
okay? that they're going, to, they're going to be brought out and that there are going to be words of comfort, that there are promises of a servant to come who brings salvation. Okay? And so the comfort of God's people, the comfort of us and the promises of God are going to be directly linked to the promise giver. Now, because we, all, because we all get comfort from hopes in the future, this passage is meant to kind of shape our hearts, to encourage us to find comfort that the servant that, that we've just read about has been appointed for the task of salvation and will lead a worldwide pilgrimage in his promises. Okay, so two ways uh, this morning to be comforted. The appointment of the servant and the promises of the servant. Okay, so uh, the passage, our first point, first way, is that the servant has been appointed for the role. Okay, so verse, verse 1, our passage begins, Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant lands. Okay? Now, of course, we've, we've been reading in um, Isaiah, God's message is to the people of Israel, very particular people. But now the servant kind of turns his attention and he begins calling out. He calls out to the islands and the distant nations. So he is, he is thinking broader than just the people. And his message is, listen and pay attention. Okay? I wonder if you've ever been in a context where uh, someone comes in and starts making demands on you that shouldn't. You know, you have a colleague or a coworker who comes into your office and they start acting like your boss telling you that like, I need stuff from you. And you're like, you're not my boss. Or if you're, you know, if you're in school, I remember this, when you know, another teacher comes into the classroom and starts telling your class that you need to do certain stuff, you're like, you're not my teacher. Why would I do that? It's because, you know, there's a, there's a discord there because those people don't have authority to tell us what to do, right? But this is where the servant is different. Even though the servant is from Israel, he is calling the islands and the distant nations to pay attention. He has the authority to bring them salvation. He calls them, and he is about to tell them why they should pay attention. Why should the nations pay attention to this servant? Well, we're, we're to pay attention because he has been appointed as the servant. Okay? And so in verses, uh, the rest of verse 1 all the way to verse 6, we see that He's been appointed, okay? So the, the servant has been appointed for the task before birth. Look at 1B. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name, okay? His role of the servant isn't something he just kind of stumbled into later in life, okay? It's not like, the, you know, your friend from high school that, you know, you just kind of knew for a long time, and then all of a sudden, you know, I got really tired of being a dentist, and so then I decided, you know what, I'm going to try to save the world. No, no, this servant has been appointed from the very beginning. The servant has also been equipped. He's been equipped from the beginning. Verse 2, he made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. So he has a mouth like a sword. So he conquers with his word. He's hidden in God's hand. That is, he is protected by God. He's like an arrow that's been concealed, okay? So he's not a last-minute decision. 
No, God has been awaiting the appointed time to reveal this servant. And he has been appointed as the servant Israel. Verse 3, you are my servant Israel. And not only is he Israel, but through whom God will be glorified. Verse 3 tells us, in whom I will display my splendor. So the servant has a, a public sphere. All are to behold him. Okay, so the servant's been called Israel. That is also the name of a nation. Okay, but the servant has been appointed to be what the nation had failed to be. God had chosen Israel to be the means of salvation to bless the world. Okay, Genesis 3, sin has come into the world. And what is God doing from Genesis 3? He has been moving to restore it. How is he going to restore it? He calls a man named Abraham. And from Abraham, Abraham develops into a large nation, the people of Israel. And the people of Israel are delivered in order to be a means of blessing, of salvation to the world. They would reverse, they would be the means to reverse the effects of sin and the fall. Well, the problem is that they are so utterly sinful themselves. They fail to display God's glory to the world. They deserve to be judged just like the rest of the world. Does God throw in the towel? No. He actually sends his servant to be for Israel what they failed to be. And so through the servant, God will extend blessings to the ends of the earth. He has been appointed as the one whom God will display his splendor. In verses 5 and 6, then we see as he's appointed, he's been appointed to bring salvation to Israel. Verse 5, he who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob, that's another name for the, for the nation, back to him and gather Israel to himself. But the servant's work is not limited to just the people of Israel. No, the servant's role is to display the glory of the Lord. And so Israel as a nation is far too small. It's too small of a people to display God's glory. The servant has been appointed to be a light to the nations. Verse 6, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and to bring those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. The servant has been appointed to be a light to the nation. So the, the image is darkness. All they see is darkness, but the servant will bring light. Matt brought up this point last week in chapter 42, that the servant's ministry is beyond just the people of Israel. It is a worldwide public ministry. What grand plans then God has for this servant to have the promise that you will be the means whereby God displays his glory. Smooth sailing, right? Easy task. No, actually, the servant recognizes the frustration of his ministry. Look at verse 4. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. He confesses that his labor has felt futile. The actual mission of being a servant is met with hostility. Israel has responded so poorly 
to his ministry. He, he thinks about his ministry and that there has been no outcome. And we've all had those kind of jobs, right? Where you feel like you put in a ton of effort for no real kind of benefit. I think sometimes of dishes. You know, they just keep coming. But more seriously, um, the sort of relationships that we have that just need ongoing work, the effort that you put into friendships that have been broken and then you just, it just feels that they're futile in that no progress is made. Parents might feel this about their children. The work of evangelism, you seek to spread the gospel to your coworkers and your family and you do it over a number of years the, the conversations just always turn sour and you just keep working and keep working and you just question yourself, is this worth it? But in spite of the frustration, the servant trusts. In spite of the work feeling futile, he trusts. Look at the end of verse four. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand and my reward is with my God. So the servant doesn't question his own ability. He questions the futility of the work. But in spite of that, he trusts the outcomes to God. This is, I mean, this is the way of Jesus' own work in the Gospels, right? He continues to minister over and over again to a people that are hard-hearted. trusting the results to God, trusting that the rewards reside with God even when the work appears not to bring the right or the desired outcomes. And so the servant's declaration of his appointment okay, is meant to give us great comfort. Okay? The servant begins by calling everybody to pay attention. Pay attention because I've been appointed for this task. It shows us that his appointment and his equipping is something that God has set, set um, from the beginning. This isn't something, this isn't plan B. Salvation wasn't some afterthought that if, you know, just that a mere human being decided to do one day, this was God's ordained plan. We see this especially at the beginning of Matthew's gospel when the angel appears to Joseph and his message to Joseph was that uh, Mary was carrying a baby and that it was conceived by the Holy Spirit and that he was supposed to name the baby Jesus, which means salvation. The angel tells Joseph, Jesus is going to save them from their sins. Okay? So taking comfort in God has ordained this, the servant has been appointed from the beginning. And secondly, I think we're, we are to uh, take great comfort from this appointment because we see that the servant is over all the nations, okay? God's intention, his, his salvation is worldwide, okay? If, if Jesus' salvation was only for the people of Israel or only the people of Judah, we'd say, oh, that's great, good, th good for them. But what about us? We would still be needing salvation. We would still be needing comfort. And so how wonderful is verse 6? that it is too small of a thing for God's salvation to only be limited to one people. 
The salvation that Jesus brings is wide in its dimension because God's glory is creation-wide in its splendor. God is concerned with his salvation going worldwide and that Jesus is the one who has been appointed from the beginning to do it. Great comfort just by the mere fact that he's been appointed to do it. Okay, so we've seen, so the servant's been appointed in verses 1 to 6. Now in verses 7 to 12, we see the promises that are delivered under his appointment. So in verse 7, we see, just like that there was hostility in verse 4, we see also that um, that he has been despised but yet victorious. So verse 7, this is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to whom who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers. Kings will see you and stand up. Princes will see and bow down because the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Okay, so what, before we get into the promises that the servant delivers, we see that his ministry is one met by hostility, being despised. Though despised by the nations, the servant has the obedience of them because the Lord is faithful the Holy One answers him. Okay? So we see right at the very beginning of this servant's ministry, the servant come, victory to the servant comes through his suffering. And so in verses 8 to, eight to 12, after his suffering and his deliverance, we see the goal of his victory. Verse 8 tells us, I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people. So the servant has been made a covenant. Israel has broken their law, has broken their covenant. So what does God do in response? He makes the servant a covenant. He will will keep the law on behalf of this people who were unable to keep it. Also in verse 8, he will restore them to the land. Verse 8 at the end, it says, to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritances. So the land that was promised to them to be a place where God dwelled in their midst has been taken away. Exile has happened. What does God promise the servant to do? Bring them back to the land where God will dwell with them. This is exactly what the Garden of Eden was supposed to be. God created Eden where God's people would dwell in harmony with him. What does the book of Revelation tell us? Well, a new heavens and a new earth where God once again dwells with his people. This is what the servant brings. He restores them. What else does he do? Well, he reestablishes the inheritances. All the blessings that were meant for God's people that were lost because of sin and exile, the servant restores. The goal of the servant's work So how does he do it? How does he bring about covenant? How does he restore them to the land? How does he restore blessings that were lost? Verse 9, to say to the captives, come out to those in darkness, be free. The power of the servant's word. He calls them, come out, show yourselves. 
It is the power of the Lord's call to restore. I think many of us here can, can kind of testify to the power of God's word, the power of being called out of darkness. Many of us have probably been the benefit of friends and family members who have shared the gospel that Jesus came, that he died and he resurrected. And there is a, there's a power in that word. He calls to come out of the darkness and into the light to follow him. So how does the servant bring about restoration? It is through the power of his word. And then in verses 9 to 11 then, we see the promises that the servant brings. And it is a, a pilgrimage in the promises of God. Verse 9 tells us they will feed beside the roads and find pasture on every barren hill. Okay? So they're, they are fed with food. Verse 10, they won't hunger, so they will neither hunger nor thirst. They are protected from the elements, nor, nor will the desert heat or the sun beat down on them. They are brought by springs of water in verse, at the end of verse 10. And then the roots are created for all to come. Verse 11, I will turn all my mountains into roads and my highways will be raised up. So mountains, the kind of the barriers from traveling are actually brought low. So everything that kept people out has been reversed in order to bring them in. They are, the, the whole landscape has been removed and transformed. And then we see in verse 12, who comes? Who is listening to this call to come out? Verse 12, see they will come from afar, north, south, west, and from the region of Aswan, which is part of lower Egypt. So as far as you can imagine, people are hearing the call to come out. And this all takes place, this pilgrimage in the promise of God, because of the one who has compassion to lead them. Verse 10, he who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. The compassionate God who leads a pilgrimage in, in his promises. How often do we read about Jesus' compassion in the Gospels? So, much, so, so often he comes to the kind of the remote villages of his area and he sees people who are under oppression and he has compassion on them. He sees the crowds, he sees their sicknesses and he heals them. He sees their hunger and he feeds them. He sees their sins and offers forgiveness. the compassionate God who leads a pilgrimage. And so how does, the, how does Isaiah see the response of the pilgrimage? Verse 13, Shout for joy, you heavens, rejoice, you earth. Burst into song, you mountains, for the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. So the passage closes with how creation is to respond to the pilgrimage of God being led by the servant. It is to praise. It's not a, and it's not only a response of creation to engage in, it is the response of the servant's people to shout for joy, rejoice. 
what promises bring us comfort in this world? I admit, as I've been reflecting on this question uh, for myself, financial security. Thinking about what, what does my world promise me? Is it the hope of particular relationships? Is it the freedom of no longer being in mom and dad's house? Is it a freedom from the pandemic? The Christian worldview teaches that comfort comes in these promises because of the servant and that God has answered him on his day of suffering. And so the message of the gospel, just as Isaiah 49 pictures, is that the the servant is a light to the nations. The gospel message goes to the nations, leading, leading the servant to lead his people and to comfort them. The servant calls all nations to come to him. So how does God bring comfort to his people? How does he bring comfort to the afflicted? Well, it's through the appointment of the servant who suffers in his mission to bring salvation. He brings salvation and he is victorious over the barriers of sin. So the results of his suffering and victory are a pilgrimage in the promises of God. That is, that is the Christian life. The Christian life is a pilgrimage towards the new heavens and new earth. That is why we meet each week here at Tonsley and why Colonel Light Gardens meets 10 minutes down the road and why every church for millennia have met to meet, to be transformed in the pilgrimage towards the new heavens and new earth. Those of us who follow Christ have heard this call, the call to come out. And if you're here for the first time or if you're here and you've not heard the gospel before or for some reason it hasn't been clear until today, the message is to come. And so we are a church. The reason we meet here at Tonsley each week is to be shaped and transformed by the work of Christ, to be led out by the compassionate one. And so we give thanks that the work of the servant has come to us. That message about the, the gospel going to the ends of the earth, uh, you know, to be a light to the nations. I, as, a, uh, as Cam said, my accent comes from uh, Woodcroft. Uh, now, no, as I was re- reflecting on this, I, you know, because uh, my points of reference geographically are a bit different, I think about Australia. Australia is the ends of the earth, right? And so we give thanks that the work of the servant has come here, right? It has come to, even to us. We are the beneficiaries of his salvation. And because this is a pilgrimage, it goes on. The work continues. Jesus' last commands to his disciples was to go to all nations, okay? Uh, though Australia is the ends of the earth, there are still others to hear. We had a couple weeks ago John Warner with BCA talking about the nations here in Australia, continuing need to be heard. There are continuing nations that still have not heard the gospel. They don't have a church. They don't have scriptures in their language. And so the church continues in the pilgrimage. 
continues to proclaim the gospel message of grace, continues to proclaim the message of the servant to come out. And so we continue on in this ministry to hear the servant's call to come out and to behold the glory of God in Christ and to, be, to find only our satisfaction in him. Let's pray. Good God, we, we thank you for the work of the servant. We thank you that he has been appointed from the very beginning in order to restore your promises, to restore your blessings. We thank you that his word to come out is powerful and transformative. We thank you that those of us who have trusted in this message are in you and that we find our satisfaction in you. So God, we pray that you would uh, keep us from the temptations of finding promises and comfort in any other promise than you. We pray that you would that your Holy Spirit would continue to transform us into the image of Christ, that we would continue on in faithfulness in this pilgrimage as you are compassionate and lead us in satisfaction. And so, Jesus, we pray that you, our affections for you would be grown because of this chapter. We pray that you would bring comfort to us and to the nations. And so we ask for your help and we pray this for your sake. Amen.